Welcome everyone to the Selling Greenville podcast. I am your host, Stan McCune, realtor right here in Greenville, South Carolina. And I am really excited that you're listening into our very first episode that we're recording here of this podcast. A long time in coming. I've been thinking for a long time about recording podcasts about real estate. And I've finally decided to take the plunge. And uh, and here's our first episode. Um, I've got a lot of things planned. We're going to talk about a lot of different things related to the Greenville market, a lot of things related to selling and buying in this market. Um, and today, specifically, our podcast is going to be about really the seven biggest mistakes that I see home buyers in this area make. But before we just kind of jump right into that discussion, I want to introduce myself and make sure that everyone knows who I am. So, um, Again, my name is Stan McCune. I'm a realtor with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And uh, I got into real estate um, really before I even got licensed. I started with flipping houses and doing some what you might call wholesale real estate and also uh, buying rental properties. Not purchasing and selling dozens of homes per year, just a handful of transactions per year. But it was enough uh, to kind of wet my whistle. And after a few years of doing that, I decided, you know what, I think I'm going to go out and get my real estate license. I think that this is something I want to expand, something I want to do more of. And even though I I had a full-time job, um, I went ahead and I got my real estate license. And um, I started doing doing more of of what I was already doing in terms of, of flipping houses and in terms of uh, doing more real estate transactions. And lo and behold, I started picking up real estate clients, people uh, that had seen what I was doing as, as an investor and that were either interested in investing or saw the value of having a realtor that understood the numbers, understood the market, understood the data, and how that could apply to them buying or selling a home. And so um, after about a year of uh, of having my license, I went ahead and quit my full-time job and decided to just do this full-time, to be a full-time realtor um, who also does some real estate investing, which by the way, just about any realtor that uh, is full-time in this market is doing some type of, of real estate investing. Um, just some are better than others. Let's just say it that way. Um, so Three years now, over three years, I've been doing this full time. And obviously my niche, what a lot of people think of when they think of me is is as someone who understands the investment market. Um, But that's not exclusively the the world that I live in. Uh, A very large percentage of my clients are people just buying and selling homes for themselves that they intend to live in or that they did live in before they sold it. And, uh, and so that is uh, a, a big part of what I do as well. In this podcast, I am not going to attempt to sell you anything, at, at least not at this moment. We might have some advertising at some point, but, um, but otherwise, my goal is not to, to sell you anything um, unless you're in the market for a realtor. If you're in the market for a realtor, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to, to talk to you. My number is 864-735-7580. 
and that number will, will be in the uh, in the show notes. You can also just Google my name. I'm I'm everywhere online. Uh, just Google Stan McCune. You'll find me somewhere. Um, but as far as this podcast goes, I just want to try to be a resource out there for people that are that are interested in this market. And there used to be some podcasts that um, that were recorded about the Greenville real estate market. From what I can see, those have all kind of fizzled for one reason or another. Um, obviously, it's a it's a very busy market. Um, but I'm hoping that this is something that we can do for, for a really long time and that can be really helpful for a lot of people. All right. So the topic at hand, seven mistakes that home buyers make. Let me start by saying this is not just for first time home buyers, right? The average home buyer will typically live in their house for, you know, five to 10 years. That's, that's a pretty average number. Um, in this market, at least here in, in the Greenville area, people will live in their house for five to 10 years. And over the course of five to 10 years, a market can completely shift. I mean, we have seen uh, over the past 10 years, the market here in Greenville is nothing like what it was in, in 2010. I'm recording this in, in 2020. Um, obviously, in 2010, we were still coming out of the recession, so that's not exactly apples to apples comparison. Um, but these things, there are cyclical aspects to the market, and if you buy and sell your primary residence once every five to ten years, you are functionally a first-time home buyer because so much changes. I, I mean, just as an example. I was just talking to someone in my office about this the other day. Just a few years ago, if you went on the HUD Home Store, now if you don't know what that is, um, that this is a real government website, the, the Department of Housing and Urban Development. When they are selling a foreclosed home, um, they actually post it on the HUD Home Store, um, which does not sound real, but, but it is actually real. Um, not too many years ago, you could go on there and there would be like 25 homes for sale and you could just go on there. And what, what we had was a bunch of investors every single day. They would just have their realtor just submit low ball bids for them every single day. And you know what? Every now and then HUD would accept one because at some point the, the property had been on the market long enough that HUD was like, you know what? Let's just go ahead and dump this thing off. And as a matter of fact, the, the first home that I bought, my first primary residence, um, I purchased off of HUD Home Store. It was listed for $130,000. I really did not want the house. Um, but my wife and I, we were just striking out with everything we were looking at. So we, were just, we told our realtor, just put in an offer for $80,000. And the home had been on the market for so long. And I guess HUD was just ready to dump it off. We got the house for eighty thousand. They even paid for some for like three percent closing costs as well, if I remember correctly. Um, so that that was then. Now you go on HUD Home Store, Greenville County, two homes for sale. As I'm recording this, two homes for sale, and they they are train wreck homes. I I actually had a client that was interested in one of them. Um, we went over there. It was a train wreck. There was like a dog pound uh, in in the house behind it. Um, 
not not the type of property that uh, that most people are are looking to buy. So, if you bought your house a few years ago when there were twenty five foreclosed homes on the HUD Home Store, that is a much different market than it is right now. There's only two, um, and the the market changes like this and it shifts. When when I first bought my house, uh, my my first home. Um, interest rates for people with pretty good credit was like, you know, between five and a half and, and six and a half percent. Now we're knocking on the door of the low threes. Thank you, coronavirus. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully after not too long, we, we won't even be thinking about the coronavirus. But as of this moment, the coronavirus is actually causing some ripples in the, uh, the mortgage market and mortgage rates are really low. So, um, so again, these things change. Don't assume because you bought and sold a home every five or 10 years that, um, that you're an expert. Honestly, um, a lot changes in, in five to 10 years, particularly around here, particularly in the Greenville market. Um, and so I think that this uh, discussion is going to be helpful for a lot of people. So let's get right in. What are the top 10, at least in my opinion, the top 10 biggest mistakes that buyers make when they're, when they're buying a house. Um, here is, here is really universally number one. And a lot of people don't want to hear this, but you need to hear it. It is not considering how the seller will interpret your offer. Not considering how the seller will interpret your offer. You might be thinking now, wait a minute, why does it matter how the seller interprets my offer? Well, let's discuss it from this angle. And I'm going to get more into this in a future podcast. But for the average home seller, particularly down here, you know, we're even though Greenville is a is a pretty progressive city by southern standards, we are still in the south. There's still a lot of families down here that have uh, owned real estate. The uh, property has been in the family for decades, maybe even longer. And uh, selling is a very emotional, very personal transaction. And so when you present an offer, now I, I always call a realtor when I make an offer. It, it cracks me up, you know, when I've got a home that's listed and I check my email and I've got like an offer. Uh, an unexplained offer from a realtor in there. You know, they didn't tell me that they were going to send me an offer. They didn't give me any heads up. They just emailed over an offer and it's like, oh, oh okay. Um, you know, it kind of makes me wonder what's the point? What, what, what is that realtor um, actually trying to accomplish? Because much of what we accomplish as realtors is, is in, the, in the off the record communication that we have with each other. And, uh, and so I always call the listing agent when I'm submitting an offer on behalf of, of one of my buyers and, and, you know, try to butter them up, try to give them some insight um, without getting into too much personal information, try to give them some insight into, into my buyer client, why they're interested in the property, um, if there's anything kind of off the record that will uh, maybe help the deal to go through that I know that my client would be okay with me sharing. And... Uh, 
and I go about I go about it that way. But there are some things that will be interpreted wrong no matter what I say. If you go in with a an extreme lowball offer on a property that was just listed. Now, I'm not saying a property that's been on the market for 150 days. I'm saying a property that was just listed. You go in, it's a $200,000 property, and you present an offer that is for $150,000. Uh, squarely 25% off of what they have it listed for. That's going to be insulting to many sellers in this market. And honestly, if you go in even at 170000 that's they're probably going to be insulted. And it will be personal. And here's the, the risk that you run with doing that. All right. You know, you might be thinking in your mind, well, I mean, what do I have to lose? The worst thing that they can say is no. Well, that is true. Unless you really like the property. If it's like if it's a really unique property and uh, and you really like it and you really want to get it. And you have some some wiggle room on your price, but you're just trying to beat the seller down as much as possible. You need to consider if they feel insulted by that offer, they might not take, they might not, A, even respond to that. They might not negotiate with you. They might just say, forget that. You know, we're not even going to counter that. Um, you might come back and say, okay, well, listen, that was just where we were starting. Let's, you know, I'm willing to come up to a more reasonable price. I'm willing to come up to, to 185. And maybe the seller might have been willing to, to entertain 185 originally, but now they're so insulted by you um, and, and by your initial offer. They're like, you know, I don't even think this guy is really serious about buying this house. Like, they're going all they're all over the place in terms of what they're offering and um it can really color the way the seller responds to you and and you have to be cognizant of that you have to recognize that there are some things that um might really uh be taken personally by a seller and I'm not going to come up with an exhaustive list of that that's just one example obviously the purchase price is the big one um, another one that in, in, in our market here in South Carolina that's worth considering, we have a few different um, options when it comes to your inspection period. So we have what's called uh, in South Carolina in our official state contract, the repair procedure. And this is what people typically think of when they think of an inspection period. It kind of limits what the seller is required to do in terms of repairs. It limits the seller to really only needing to do major structural or, or major plumbing, electrical type of repairs. And that's something I want to talk about uh, probably in a future episode, or, or I might do a YouTube video uh, talking about that. Um, but we also have an option for a due diligence period. Now, this is more for investors. This is more for properties that are not owner-occupied, properties that need a lot of work, um, where there might be lease agreements. There's multiple things that need to be looked at by the buyer in order to assess whether he really wants, he or she really wants to move forward with the, with the transaction. Uh, so one of the things that you need to consider, 
you know, if it's a property that's in pretty good shape and, um, and you know, it's been owner occupied and they've really cleaned it up, a seller might not be super happy about receiving an offer with a due diligence period that allows the, I, I should have mentioned before, it allows the buyer to back out for pretty much any reason versus a repair procedure period, which limits that the buyer can only back out um, in terms of the condition of the property if the seller is not willing to do certain repairs. So that becomes important because, you know, we get a lot of multiple offer type of situations here. Your offer is going to be considered weaker than other offers if you have a due diligence period that allows you to back out for any reason. And let's say it's like a, a 14 business day, 15 business day due diligence period. That's, that's practically three weeks. Now, thankfully, they did take business days out of uh, the state contract this year. Um, so that's we're less likely to see people trying to uh, to do that type of thing. But um, if you've got several weeks of a due diligence period that allows you to back out, um, the seller is just not going to be super happy about that. And you may end up losing out to another offer or you may end up um, just kind of alienating yourself in the mind of the of the seller. So that's just something to keep in mind. Um, I always encourage my clients as we're as we're working through present as we're working through writing up an offer. Um, obviously, you can ask for the for the seller to give up everything. You can ask for them to come way down on the price and pay for all your closing costs and give you the ability to back out for any reason, um, all of these things. But what happens in the very likely scenario that, that they see all of that and just feel like you're an unreasonable person? You may end up never being able to, um, to come back to that seller again because you may end up burning a bridge with that seller right off the bat. And so that's something I always encourage my clients um, to... Make sure that, that we are um, doing what's best for them as a buyer, but at the same time that we are considering the seller's perspective as well and uh, making an offer that at the end of the day, the seller will look at and say, you know what, that seems fair. It seems like these, these people seem like they're reasonable people. Um, second thing. So the first one was not considering how the seller will interpret your offer. That's the biggest mistake I run into frequently. People don't understand just how, how emotional a real estate transaction is and, and how things that are put in offers will be sometimes misinterpreted. Um, the second biggest thing I run into is buyers that are willing to lose a house over $25 a month willing to lose a house that they really, really like over $25 a month. And you're probably thinking, well, what do you mean? What do you mean by $25 a month? Um, here's what $25 a month translates to. Let's say that you're buying a $200,000 home and your uh, mortgage uh, interest rate is 3.5%, which is not unreasonable right now in this market. Um, I'm not factoring in PMI or um, 
down payments or, uh, you know, escrows for insurance or taxes or anything like that. Let's just say that your, your base loan is 200,000, 3.5% interest rate. Your mortgage payment will probably be somewhere around $900 a month, okay? Um, in that scenario, without escrows and all that. If you came down, if you were able to get that down to 195,000, so you're you're coming down $5,000, your mortgage payment goes from 900 a month to 875 a month. So that's a $25 a month difference. When you're looking at the house, you're probably thinking, man, I I do not want to go above 200,000 whatever the case may be. Here's a home that's listed for um, for 220, but man, I I do not want to go above 200,000. And and so maybe you you bring an offer for 200,000 and the the seller actually counters at 205. Um Literally, the difference between a two hundred thousand between two hundred thousand dollars and two hundred five thousand dollars is going to be roughly twenty five dollars a month on your monthly payment. If you really like the house, and if it's a really unique house, if you've been looking for a while, you haven't found one that really checks off your boxes. You need to seriously consider whether that twenty five dollars a month is worth it. Um, Many people kind of lose sight of the forest for the trees when you know they're so stuck on that five thousand dollars that they don't think about okay, but but this is only going to translate to um, you know less than what I'm paying for my cell phone. Do I want to miss out and lose out on my dream home for twenty five dollars? Now now sometimes there might be other considerations. For instance, let's say that you're not sure that you're going to um, live in this house for very long and it's priced at the very top of the market and you want to make sure that in the scenario where you end up moving out, having to move out in a year, that you don't end up losing money. Okay, in that scenario, that $5,000 may be a really big deal. Also in the scenario, if you're looking at it from an as an investment that you're going to be renting the property out, um, there are some, you know, $25, that, that's your bottom line. You know, every dollar towards your bottom line counts when you're investing. Um, so there's a lot to consider, but, um, but all in all, when if you're looking to buy your primary residence, um, don't just get stuck on... A certain number remember that um, you, you don't want to overspend for the house but you also don't want to get so nitpicky that you end up losing out a house because you're not willing to spend an extra $25 a month um, here's another one our third one here passing on a perceived good deal good in air quotes here because you're waiting for a, air quotes, great deal. I actually heard this exact phrase used uh, recently, and I, I think it was just used um, at, 
as an excuse probably because they wanted to back out of, of a deal that they were in because of financing issues. But regardless, um, the phrase was used, Stan, I think this is a good deal, but I don't think this is a great deal. Now let me tell you something about this market, particularly this market here in Greenville. We are in a seller's market. This is not a buyer's market, and it has not been a buyer's market for quite some time. We have been at around about three months levels of inventory for quite some time now, and that is squarely a seller's market. It needs to get up to like six months of inventory. Um, and, and what I mean when I say that is six months worth of homes on the market. Um, it needs to get up to six months for it to, to kind of be a flat market, uh, a fair market, neither a seller's market nor a buyer's market. So we're at, at only three months. It is a seller's market. There are not a lot of homes on the market right now, relatively speaking. If there is a good deal out there, then you need to um, take full advantage of that good deal and, and not poo-poo that away. Oh, it's not a great deal. I'm not happy, uh, you know, that it's, uh, it could be better. Um, I'm sure there will be a better deal out there. You don't know if there's going to be a better deal out there. And if you can quantitatively and, and, and are clearly know for a fact that you are under contract to purchase something that is demonstrably a good deal, you should strongly consider moving forward. Good deals do not come about every day in this market uh, from a buyer's standpoint. And the great deals that are out there, let me tell you what happens when there is a great deal. The vultures come out. And when there is a great deal, I, so I ran into this recently. Um, well, it, it was a few months ago. A, a, a listing agent, this, this is a guy that has been a listing agent, uh, a realtor for a long time and had no excuse, but he listed a home way below the market. He did not know what the home was worth, did not do his homework. And um, he ended up getting like... Uh, he told me something around like 30 offers on the property. 30 offers! That's what happens when there's a great deal. Now, every now and then, I will come across a great deal that's been listed poorly. Um, I had a, an, an instance last year where there was a house it, that was listed that something kind of stood out to me when I was looking at it. It was like, there's something weird about this property. Let me do a little bit more digging into it. And I did some more digging and lo and behold, it turns out that wasn't a house. That was a duplex. It was listed for like $70,000 in, in an up and coming part of Greenville. Well, let me tell you, if you know anything about the multifamily market around here, finding anything that is multifamily that's below $50,000 per door is pretty much unheard of. So, um, that was an example where, you know, I, 
I just happened to find it. It was not listed well. Again, the realtor did not do a good job of listing it. And because of that, people weren't seeing it. They weren't realizing that it was a great deal. And, um, and so that was a very rare instance of a great deal that was on the market that wasn't just snatched up right away. And that's because it was really hard to identify that it was a great deal. The long story short is good deals are, are rare. If you find one, you should strongly consider moving forward with it. Um, if you're holding out for a great deal, you might be holding out for a really, really long time. And you might end up finding yourself getting really frustrated in a lot of bidding wars uh, because that's the market that we're in right now. Until the market shifts towards more of a, of a buyer's market, and no, I do not think that long term that this corona, coronavirus is going to, to do that. It might do it in the short term. We might have a little bit of a window of opportunity here where, where we might have a few months of a little bit more of a buyer's market. But, but long term, I don't see that happening. I think we'd have to have a, a more of a systemic recession to shift more towards a buyer's market. And until that happens... Um, it, this is going to be the market that we're in. Most deals are not going to be very good. And, um, and you will have to be selected, but if you're too selective, you're simply not going to ever buy anything. Um, number four, and I want to go a little bit more quickly here so we don't get bogged down, um, but choosing a buyer's agent that isn't necessarily qualified but is a friend. Oh, boy. Now, Again, I am a little bit biased because I'm a realtor here, but man, I wish I had a dollar every time I heard someone say that they were using a realtor, uh, you know, he or she, they haven't been doing it for very long and, and they're not super qualified and, I, you know, I know that they're not the best, but I want to help them out and they're a good friend and, and they're really nice. Um, and, and let me say this, okay, if I can step out of character, um, out of that character of being the person selecting the unqualified buyer's agent, that's a friend. Um, I, I get that. It, it is very important that you have good chemistry with your realtor. And it can be really ideal if your realtor is your friend. There is a, an, an emotional element like we've already talked about to buying and selling a home and having someone that connects with, connects with you on, on an emotional level um, can be helpful. But not if that person doesn't know what they're doing. Um, and so I would just say this. Obviously, I don't want to just say, hey, if, if a buyer's agent, not, not every new agent that's out there um, is unqualified. Just because they haven't had their license for very long doesn't make them unqualified. That was the case with me when I got my license. I had already been flipping houses and, and buying rental properties and, and doing all that kind of uh, stuff for several years. So I felt like I, I could stand in front of someone and say, yeah, I just got my real estate license, but I've been doing this for a while now. I've been analyzing the market. I've been I've had my my hands dirty in this market. I know contractors. I know inspectors like I'm not just some fly by night realtor. 
and there are a lot of fly-by-night realtors in this market. Most realtors um, in our market do not last more than two years, and then they're out of it. And that's because it's really easy to get your real estate license. It doesn't cost that much. It's, it's just a, like a couple of weeks of school. And you don't have to have sold, ever have bought or sold a house. I went, when I went to real estate school, I was in there with kids that were renting or living with their parents. They had never bought or sold a house for themselves, but they were becoming licensed to help other people do that. Now, would you get your hair cut by someone that had never cut anyone's hair before? And and let me qualify that. You might do that for someone that is going to do it for free. Would you pay them? Top of the market. Go, you know, whatever you might pay for, you know, 50 or 60 bucks to cut hair. Are you going to go to someone that has never cut hair? and give them 50 or $60 to cut your hair. I, I sure hope not. That's not a good idea. Um, highly don't recommend that. Uh, but a lot of people are willing to do that for a real estate transaction, which is one of the most important um, economic decisions that they will ever make. And it's not a good idea. Um, make sure that the realtor that you end up going with for your buyer's agent that they have some qualifications, that they will do a good job, um, that they're not just someone that you're using because you like them and they're available and they have a pulse. Um, number five, not testing for radon. This one's a little bit different than some of the other ones that we've talked about that, are, that have been a little bit more broad. This is a very specific one. And this is specific for this market here in Greenville. Now, a lot of people don't even know, when I talk to uh, my clients, I find that very few of them even know what radon is. Radon is a gas that occurs naturally in the ground at varying levels depending on where you are. So in some places, the levels of radon are high in the ground, and in some places, the levels of radon are low. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because aside from smoking cigarettes, the number one cause of lung cancer in the U.S. is radon. The number, the, the main cause apart from smoking for lung cancer in the U.S. is radon. That is an actual statistic that the, uh, that the government has put out, the EPA. Uh, and you know what? I don't know about you, but lung cancer is not something that I'd prefer to get in my lifetime if I can avoid it, particularly if I'm not smoking, you know, uh, that would really stink. You know, it's like you go your whole life without smoking and then you end up getting lung cancer uh, simply because of some naturally occurring substance that was coming up in the ground that you never knew about. Well, they have machines that you can test for radon levels, and then there are ways that you can mitigate it. So you can require the seller when you're buying a house to mitigate the radon. And I'm not going to get into all the nitty gritty of that, but there's a, a variety of different ways that you can basically pump that gas out of your house and make sure that, um, that you don't have high radon levels. But here is why this is especially important for Greenville. If you go on the EPA's website, 
they actually have a map of the U.S. that shows um, where radon is higher than others. And Greenville County is in the red zone. Like you look at all around South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Greenville County is red. Everything else around it is yellow um, because Greenville has abnormally high levels of radon uh, in general. In general. Now, this varies from, from one residence to another. But, um, but that's something that we have to be especially worried about. Um, and so when you're getting your inspections done, get a radon test done. It will be worth it. That is probably the most important inspection that you can have done when you buy a house, in, in, in my opinion. Because a house, you know, if a shingle is falling off the roof, that can be fixed. But if you get lung cancer, um, that, that is a, a big deal to your, uh, to your family, to your lifestyle. Um, you don't want to have to mess with that. Um, number six, not shopping the mortgage markets. Okay. Or, or uh, to say it another way, not shopping your mortgage around to multiple banks. Here's what I always recommend to my clients. When you get under contract, get a mortgage estimate from a mortgage broker and from at least one local bank and let them know, Hey, I, this is a competitive situation. I am getting quotes from multiple people here, and we're going to go with whoever's the lowest. You will get a better deal if you do that than if you just go with your friend John that works for ABC Bank, and you feel like he'll be honest with you. Listen, John with ABC Bank, um, this fictitious banker, he might be a really honest guy, but he might not be able to, to pull the type of strings that... Um, that Jane with XYZ Bank is able to. Um, don't neglect credit unions either. I, I've seen some great rates from credit unions as well. Um, and so you need to make sure that um, you shop your mortgage with a few different banks and that way you will end up getting the lowest rate. And, and that's something I have several banking contacts that specialize in several different types of, of mortgages um, that's something I help my clients with all the time. Last but not least, um, the biggest one of the biggest mistakes that home buyers make is ignoring homes that need work. This is something that is 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 really near to my heart because I bought so many fixer uppers over the years. The first house that I lived in was a fixer upper. Um, we talked before about good deals versus great deals. The best deals that are out there are on homes that need work. That's just the reality of the situation. And a lot of people freak out when they're having to 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 deal with um, with different issues with with a home, different things that a home might need work on. Um, an example of something that a lot of people is is a deal breaker for, but that would not be a deal breaker for me, is termites. Um, yeah, termites are a big deal. They will eat up the substructure of your house. But guess what? You can get rid of termites. 
And guess what? You can replace all that wood. And, and, and oftentimes, the cost of doing those repairs is not as much as you think it is. People think that, um, that replacing the majority of, of, the, of the joists and, and uh, foundation in a home is going to be like $50,000. No. Like, obviously, every home is different. But I frequently hear people doing that type of work for $10,000 or less. Now, $10,000 is a lot of money. You have to factor that into the, the purchase price, obviously. But, um, but overreacting to the repairs that a home needs will not help you. And, and that is a, uh, a huge mistake that a lot of home buyers make. Um, obviously, cosmetic things. A lot of people just rule out a house because they don't like the carpet. You know how cheap it is to replace carpet? Um, I, it, it's, it's difficult for me as a realtor because I don't ever want someone to buy a house that they're not happy with. I, I, particularly if, if someone wants to live in the house uh, and it's not just uh, an investment, that's just a numbers game. Um, I want people to be, to really love the house. But at the same time, sometimes it's honestly better to buy a house cheaper and then be able to do your own updates. Now you have to factor in that you might be coming out of pocket more for some of that. You know, if you buy uh, a $200,000 house that doesn't need a whole lot of work and you're only putting, let's say, three and a half percent down. Um, it, that's going to be a lot less cash that you have to uh, to spend up front versus a home that you buy for $175,000 with 3.5% down, but then you immediately have to put ten dollars or $15,000 into it. The net is less than $200,000, but in terms of the amount of cash that you have to bring in order to purchase and renovate the house is, is more in general. So that so that's a factor, but there are ways around that as well. There are renovation loans where you can actually bake some of the costs um, and really a a, a, a significant uh, quality of repairs. I mean, we're talking about a lot of cosmetic things that are uh, that are allowed. Um, a lot of different repairs and renovations that are allowed, including appliances. Um, in renovation loans, uh, a lot of banks, if you have good credit, good debt to income, they'll provide you home equity lines or, or other types of uh, lines of credit that will also allow for you to finance some repairs. So don't be scared by a home that needs some work. Every home, in my opinion, the way the approach that I take, every home has a price at which it makes sense. Now you might not be in a position where, uh, where you want a big project. Uh, again, there there are a lot of different things to consider, but I would say in general, we need to uh, have more buyers in this market that are willing to accept a home that maybe isn't exactly turnkey condition that needs a little bit of work, um, a little bit of love, tender love and care, um, and. If you're willing to be one of those buyers, you will end up 
in the long run uh, with probably a home that's a, a, a better long-term investment than those that are only looking at turnkey types of properties. So those are the seven biggest mistakes that I see home buyers make. Um, there are a lot more that we could talk about, but I, I think we've, we've talked enough about that. Um, our next podcast, I'm hoping to discuss the same thing, but with sellers. So the top seven mistakes that I see sellers make, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, but again, thank you so much for listening in to this podcast. Um, it's been fun, and, uh, and I hope that we can have uh, many more and that you'll listen to many more in the future. 